0: The following sermon is from Christchurch Port Orange. For more information, find us online at joinwithJesus.org. Thanks for listening. Uh, we are gonna jump right in. We got a lot to cover. We're in an audience-driven sermon series entitled Hot Topics, and we're talking about the things that matter to you. And this morning in week three, we are tackling the topic of Christianity and sexuality. Which is why I'm assuming you're here. <laughs> But um, if you are here and that's a surprise to you and you'd like to leave, no harm, no foul, I'm gonna pray an extra long prayer and provide cover for you to exit with your 10-year-old or grandma or whoever makes you feel uncomfortable to be here this morning. Uh, I do wanna promise you that this morning, it will be frank, but it will not be vulgar. So you have nothing to worry about. Uh, I will not be as funny as I normally am because uh, that would not be appropriate for the topic that we're talking about. And I'm working very hard to be appropriate. so I'm gonna pray, but I do wanna just mention um, tomorrow and this all this week, we are having two of our three large air conditioners replaced. They are 18 years old and they should have stopped working five years ago. And by some miracle of God's divine providence, they have continued to cool this space, uh, albeit occasionally with some errors. Um, but they could go out anytime and there was a shortage on air conditioners and so instead of waiting for them to go out and then ordering air conditioners and waiting with no air conditioning we made the decision to just buy them and install the with in the working air conditioners with not new working air conditioners okay i say that because some of you are like why are we doing that well just because it's not hot in here doesn't mean it won't be soon uh, but i what i want to tell you is we're not taking a special offering And part of the reason for that is because of your faithful generosity, consistent faithful support of Christ Church. Um, This has been an expensive year, hasn't it? Lots of unexpected expenses. And we have not seen giving plummet. We have seen faithfulness and growth. And because of that, we're able to plan. And so we put this money aside. Years ago, we started saving for these things. And so we have the money to actually pay for them and we don't need to ask you to do anything. Isn't that great news? And if you've ever been in a community where you're constantly being hit up to replace and fix things, it gets old, doesn't it? And so thank you for your faithfulness. It allows us to plan and now we can replace our air conditioning. And next week we can make sure that it's exactly the way I like it, 68 degrees. Praise Jesus. We're gonna gonna get Christchurch shawls for all of those of you who have low blood circulation and freezing hands. Anyway, uh, let's pray. God, we thank you for this day. We thank you that you are eager to meet with us. God, we pray that we would have eyes to see and ears to hear. Lord, as we consider this topic that is often neglected, uh, Lord, sometimes obscured, but is so important to the human experience. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would speak to every heart. God, I thank you for your word which is so clear and simple on this topic. But God, I know that it meets convoluted and confused hearts and a darkened culture. And so I pray, Lord, that as we turn to your word, that it would function for us first and for our world as a light in a dark place. God, we thank you that you are the author of life and the giver of every good gift. And you have done what is necessary to redeem and restore every good gift. And I pray, Lord, that we would have hearts to receive it and a willingness to trust you and walk in what your word has spoken. Lord, as we lean in to hear what you have said, how you feel, and we hold that up against what our experience has been, what we desire, what we fear, God, what we're maybe angry about. Lord, I pray that your spirit and your word would do a work of healing, would do a work of education, would do a work of inspiration, and ultimately, God, I pray we would have a beautiful picture of a good gift that you have given. Help us, we pray. In Jesus' mighty name, and all God's people said, amen, amen. amen. This is a topic that everyone asked about and nobody talks about, and so I wanted to just take a moment to um tell you a little bit about what's gonna happen next. I am going to give you a very, very short definition of what God says about sex. I'm going to give you a very short and memorable limit to what God says um, sex should be for and who it's reserved for. And then I'm gonna show you that from the scriptures. And then depending on how much time we have, I would like to kind of put forward for you some ways in which our culture get this very wrong. And unfortunately, the way the church Christian people historically have kind of overreacted or further obscured this topic. And I want to just acknowledge and address those. What I'm about to say is going to create more questions for many of you than answers. And so this is not in any way meant to be exhaustive, but it is important that we begin by answering questions regarding sexuality with the clearest teaching of scripture and find God's heart. I also want to just want to acknowledge that God made us sexual beings. All of us, we are gendered and we are driven. And that is, that is part of the human experience. We can pretend nothing happens like that in church. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> but every one of us are sexual beings. Also, all of us got to where we are today through a life lived in a fallen and broken world. So what I know now, what I know in this room, there are people who have suffered sexual abuse, who have been uh, neglected. I know that there are people who have desires that they wish they didn't have, uh, unwanted sexual behaviors. I know that there are people present who have suffered greatly, who are frustrated because of a longing that is unmet. I know that there is a broad experience in the realm of human sexuality. And the good news is, is that God's word speaks to and addresses every single one of us and that there is better news than you can imagine, better even than answers to your specific questions. And so I want to jump right in and and just give it to you clearly. You ready? We're going to see in the scriptures in just a moment that sex is a gift from God to be enjoyed between one man and one woman in a lifelong marriage covenant that most often results in children, and the establishment of the family unit that is the building blocks of a prosperous society. So this is the clear teaching of scripture on what sex is. God has given this gift to humanity and purposefully and plainly placed limits around the gift of sex, quite close limits, so that if you understand the purpose and design of God's gift of sex, that you have two options as a human. Every human has two options to walk in God's sexual ethic. And that is to be married and monogamous, sexually active in your marriage or single and celibate. And that's it. That is very, very clear in the scripture and I will show it to you, but it is very unpopular. Unfortunately, It's not only unpopular out there, but it's unpopular in here. And so I am also aware that there are many, many, many people, even among us this morning, who are acting out their sex life in ways that do not fit inside of that small circle. I just want to acknowledge that, and that is a human problem, and then we're going to look to the scriptures to address it. I mentioned in week one of Hot Topics that the only way for us to really come to some conclusions and agree with God is to put away our previously conceived ideology and to take on a Jesus-centered worldview. And I gave you seven elements of that worldview. The first of those was creation. And most of the important questions you're gonna ask about life have an origin story that's provided to us in the scriptures by God through the Holy Spirit in Genesis chapters one, two, and three. And that's where we're gonna start. This morning, Genesis chapter one, look at verse 26. Genesis chapter one tells the story of creation in six days and it culminates in God's crowning creation of mankind. Genesis one twenty-six. Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And so mankind is made special, different than the rest of creation in the image of God. We're made of the same stuff, but we have a a specific blessing upon us having been created in God's image. And then we get a poem that's made to be memorable that reinforces this reality, verse 27. So God created man in his own image in the image of God he created him male and female he created them and so here you have the dignity and value of human life you have the gender binary and you have the purpose of God in creation then you get the blessing of God verse 28 and God blessed them and said to them be fruitful and multiply and how does this happen through the gift of sex and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heaven and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And then at the culmination of chapter one, chapter two zooms out and then back in to the creation of man as male and female. And so if you read the end of chapter one, you get the whole creation narrative and you have Adam and Eve, man as male and female and the whole thing's fulfilled. And you saw in chapter one, every time God made something, he saw that it was good and it was good and it was good and it was good. Six times we see it was good. And then when it was all made together, it was very good. And then chapter two zooms into when God had made Adam, but had not yet created Eve. And what did he say? And it was not good that the man would be alone. And so chapter two is actually the marriage chapter in the Bible. It culminates in verses 24 and 25, and it sets up for us context to understand man as male and female, the covenant that God makes in marriage and the oneness that that marriage is meant to represent. It's not for itself only or the propagation of the species, but is a mini picture, a thumbnail of the union that God intends to have with humanity and the reunion that comes between God and mankind through the person of jesus that is where this all goes and sex is at the middle of that covenant and a part of that good gift and so we read genesis 2 24 and 25 therefore because of all of these things a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh and this is the sex act And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. And so you get this picture of perfection in the relationship. Perfect vulnerability, perfect acceptance, perfect knowledge, perfect uh, compatibility. It's right there because everything is as it should be. The man and his wife in this perfect relationship, in a triad with God who's present in the garden, a perfect people in a perfect place sharing the perfections of a perfect God. And it doesn't last very long. Because you get to chapter three, and Adam and Eve transgressed the one rule that God gave them. One rule, just one. And what happened? They believed in a lie that there was something that was more desirable that God was keeping from them. And instead of trusting God, they distrusted his intent and they disobeyed his command. And when Adam and Eve ate from the forbidden fruit of the tree of the knowledge and good and evil, they were immediately separated from God and his life-giving spirit. And what happened? Look what it says in chapter three and verse seven. The eyes of both of them were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. This is the beginning of the evil fashion industry right here. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. And so you see Adam and Eve are hiding. They're covering themselves from each other. So their, their intimacy has been broken. And now they're hiding together from God. And that separation between God and man has crept in. Now, this is what I want to point out to you. And this is what I love about this passage. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? Now, this is not a game of cosmic hide and seek, by the way. And Adam is not lost. God's like, now, where did I put that guy? Where is he? God God did not need GPS on Adam to locate him in the garden. What is God doing here? He is taking the initiative in a relationship towards someone who has just broken trust, disobeyed, and is hiding from him and distance from him. God, throughout the story, here and throughout the whole scripture, it's always God who's moving in our direction. We break things and run off and God comes after us. We turn our hearts away from him and he comes to fix them. We get ourselves into trouble and he becomes the rescuer. This is the consistent story throughout the scripture. And so God comes and says, where are you? And Adam said, I I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself, verse 11. And he said, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? Now, are these the questions of an all-knowing God? Are these the questions of a good father? Just like any of you walking in to find your children stuffing their face with Oreos. Are you eating cookies? No. You have Oreo all over your face. No, I didn't. That was from the cat. You know? And so the story begins of a loving father pursuing children in a broken world. So this is the foundation for the Christian sexual ethic, the Judeo-Christian sexual ethic, but the scriptures do not at all shy away from the reality of sexual brokenness. In fact, when you just start reading the first few chapters of Genesis, you're gonna get polygamy, incest, rape, prostitution, sex slavery, adultery, and homosexuality before you're halfway through the book. so the corruption of sex is on display and the scriptures deal with it immediately. Throughout the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, sometimes called the law, you're gonna get multiple chapters on things that are... pertaining to sexuality, Exodus 22, Leviticus 18 and 20, Deuteronomy 21 to 23. All of these things list laws of the prohibitions against certain sexualities in the Old Testament and for the Old Testament people. All of them carry a picture and a connotation and they fill out this um, sexual ethic that I started with. But that doesn't disparage sex from its original good gift. In fact, there's a whole book in the Bible that's celebrating romantic love and the gift of sex and the covenant of marriage, Song of Songs and it's a beautiful part of the scriptures. However, sex, because it is so good, it is also very powerful and therefore also dangerous. And so throughout the Proverbs, 6, five, six, seven, you get multiple uh, appeals of the danger of sexual temptation. And, and as humanity continues to grow and spread, you find almost unlimited aberrations of the gift of sex, all sorts of sexual evils, many of them described in the scripture, but not all of them. By the time you get to the New Testament, the New Testament writers use this word porneia to describe sexual immorality. It's basically, here's what God said is okay and everything else, porneia, which is where we get the word pornography, videoing of sex acts. And so this is a very, very clear and consistent Christian, Judeo-Christian sexual ethic. And Jesus reinforces this. I got a lot of people that push back. They go, that was the Old Testament. Jesus never talked about it. So so it doesn't matter. We can do whatever we want. No, he didn't. He talked about it. And I know that because I read the Bible and maybe you didn't. Matthew chapter 19. (laughs) Jesus talks about this specific verse and talks about this specific topic. And he's very specific. And I want to read it to you. Matthew 19 verses one to 12. Now, when Jesus had finished saying these things, he went away from Galilee and entered the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. And large crowds followed him and he healed them there. Now listen, Jesus would say things that everyone would freak out about and disagree with and push back on, some things that made people even wanna kill him. But everywhere he went, large crowds followed. You know why? Because he healed them. Some of what I'm gonna say today may challenge your thinking and may make you angry. You may completely disagree, but you are surrounded by people who are here because Jesus healed me because I had an infirmity that I could not handle because I was stuck and broken and dying. And I came to him pleading and he did for me what I could never do for myself. And so you may not have all your questions answered, but never stop moving towards Jesus. He is the only one who loves you. He is the one who died to save you. And he is the only one who can heal you. Listen to him. The Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? How's the question? Now, this is a trick question. This is not what's worded. Is it lawful? Are we allowed to do it based on the law and for any cause? If if I'm displeased with my wife in any way, am I permitted to divorce her? This was a contention, but this was also a common practice in the ancient Near East. The men of Israel who were seeking to be faithful and devout under the law would marry and divorce multiple women. They were serial monogamists. And they would write her a certificate of divorce and send her away and marry another woman. This was a common practice. Some of the groups said it was wrong and some of the groups said it was lawful. And so they're putting this to Jesus to see whose side he falls on. Jesus answered in verse four, have you not read, I love Jesus. You guys are the, the experts on the law. Have you not read? Did you not read the part? That he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, therefore shall Um, a man leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. Remember that part? We just read it. You know that part? pretty famous part. Everyone should know that part. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Why? Because of the covenant of marriage and the sexual union. They are now one with each other. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. That was his answer. They said to him, why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and send her away? Now, this was not, I don't think this was a genuine question. You could read it as, well, help us to understand then, Jesus, why there is this odd little law about sending this woman away. I think this is a, ha ha, gotcha, because we know a little caveat in Deuteronomy 22 that you're not thinking about, ha ha. That's the tone you should hear this in. But listen to what Jesus says. Because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning, it was not so. And then he says, and I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, unfaithfulness on her part, and marries another commits adultery. Now, these are hard words. Now, two things I want to say, because somebody came up to me this first service asking this question. If you are divorced and remarried, are you in perpetual adultery? No, that's not what this is saying. Jesus is saying to people who saw themselves as law keepers and justified their evil, because of these caveats in the law, and we're doing this evil thing, he's saying the thing you're doing is no different than adultery. When you are done with a woman and you send her away so you can have another woman, you're just a cheater. That's it. You're not honoring God in the covenant you made. You're not valuing this woman you're married to and you are choosing someone else. You are an adulterer. That's what he is saying. This does not mean if you were divorced and remarried, you got to divorce the person you're with now and go back to the person you're with. In fact, you guys are like, "Woo, that's good. Actually, if you go back and read the passage Jesus is referring to, that's the context of the certificate of divorce. He's actually saying, Moses says, if you divorce your wife and she marries somebody else, you can never have her back. And it's a stopgap. It's meant to say, think about this because once she's gone, you don't have any access to her anymore. So that was the nature of this law. But when we're looking to justify our evil, we're not interested in the heart of a law. We're interested in the words, aren't we? And this is what Jesus was confronting. But this is the response of the disciples. You gotta love their honesty. Verse 10, the disciples said to him, if this is the case, a man with his wife, it's better not even to marry If I'm stuck with her forever, oh my goodness, this is terrible. Now, I know some of you, you're in church, so you didn't yell anything. But when I said that your options are to be married and monogamous or single and celibate, you're like, nah, I don't want to do either of those. The perimeter, the limits, God's limits to experience the blessing and the good gift of sex is in a lifelong covenant marriage between one man and one woman or nothing. Reinforced right here. And this actually applies to homosexuality, the transgender issue, uh, all the kind of things that our culture is facing. Listen to what he says in verse 11. But he said to them, not everyone can receive the saying, but only to those to whom it is given. And so for those of you who are not called to be in a sexual relationship, in the lifelong male-female relationship in marriage, this is for you. There are eunuchs, somebody say eunuchs, This is a catch-all word in the New Testament that would be anybody that doesn't fit the gender binary or the heteronormative uh, pattern. So this is a person who is outside of the norm of a man and a woman in a lifelong relationship. There are eunuchs who have been so from birth. So you're born either um, with ambiguous genitalia or not attracted to people of the opposite sex. Or there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men. So you've been captured as a slave and castrated. So you're no longer sexual, have no sexual drive. And that was done so you could trust the people who were overseeing your busy work. And so this is a terrible, horrific practice. But this is now a person who's completely sterilized. And there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. People have devoted themselves to God and said no to sexuality completely, to live a life of celibacy, Um, depending on the power of the Holy Spirit to uh, not be driven by their own sexual appetites. Those are three, I wouldn't say comprehensive, but three categories of singles. And then Jesus says, let the one who is able to receive this, receive it. And if you get into the New Testament letters, Paul's gonna say, if you can't be single, then find a spouse and get married and enjoy a sexual relationship with that one person in the context of marriage, and that's it. And so again and again and again and again, all consistently through the scriptures, this idea that sex is a good but powerful gift from God that is meant to be uh, enjoyed inside the narrow guidelines and limits of a lifelong covenantal marriage between one man and one woman, and everything else is meant to be single and celibate is the clear teaching of scripture, and there's nothing more to it than that. Now, you will find people who will say completely differently, Right now, you could Google and find someone who agrees with whatever it is you're interested in looking for and put a Christian label on it just about. That's the world we live in right now. That has not been the case traditionally. That is not defensibly scripturally. And what I've just given to you, while it may seem very limited, is actually the best gift you can receive. And I will tell you why. You ready for this? Here's the thing about very, very, very powerful gifts. They are wonderful inside of their limitations, and they are highly destructive when they are outside of their limitations. Fire comes to mind. Julian's on the front row today, and he's been asking me questions about fire. He wants to know where it comes from. How does it get here? What does it do? How big do the fires burn? How do we make more fire? He asks all these questions about fire. And so I'm teaching him fire safety. Why? Because fire is great on a lighter, in a candle, in the fireplace, on the gas stove. But you know where it's terrible? On the couch, bud. (laughs) And he's only five. I was like eight or nine by the time I turned into a little pyro. I was burning everything in sight. Don't tell him. Magnifying glasses, camping matches, gasoline. I was burning stuff all over Volusia County. And what happens when you play with fire? You get burned. And in fact, this picture is used for us in the scriptures, Proverbs 6, 27 and 29. Can a man carry fire next to his chest and his clothes and not be burned? Or can one walk on hot coals and his feet not scorched? Or so is he who goes into his neighbor's wife. None who touches her will go unpunished. You are heaping condemnation and trouble on yourself when you go outside of these parameters. And this is the case for every sexual aberration that exists. I'm telling you, the world would like everyone to think that all sexuality is equal and you can find uh, intimacy, vulnerability, love, companionship, and sexual fulfillment in any way that you're wired to enjoy it. And if you go pursue it, that's where happiness lies. That's a lie. If you go outside of God's limits, you will burn down your life. It's the truth. Ask anyone. Ask anyone who committed adultery. Ask anyone. Ask anyone who pursued a destructive relationship. Ask anyone who went outside of those, that realm if they are just wonderfully happy and everything's fantastic all the time. Ask them if they found it. You won't find it. What you will find is trouble upon trouble upon trouble because we serve a good God that knows what he's doing and who has good things in store for everyone. However, however, there are some issues that the culture has created and that the church has exacerbated or maybe even created their own. And I just want to take a couple minutes to to look at these together and I'll be fast. The culture says everything is about sex. And the reason the culture says everything is about sex is because sex is a powerful drive in the human experience. And by exploiting your desire for sex, I can monetize you and extract all of your resources so advertising is all about sex. Instagram is all about sex. It's all about your body. It's all about what people find attractive about you, how much power you have, where you fit in society, how you stack up against other people. Sex, 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 sex. Guess what? Everything is not about sex. Let me say that one more time. Everything is not about sex. Don't sound like you believe me. <laughs> Everything is not about sex. In fact, Jesus had this conversation when the Sadducees tried to trip him up. I'm going to paraphrase for time's sake. The Sadducees are like, we're going to throw a real zinger at Jesus because they didn't believe there was a resurrection. And so they're going, if you have a resurrection and you apply this law of the Old Testament, if a if a man dies and leaves a wife, his brother is supposed to marry her and propagate his brother's family line so that she has children from her brother in the name of her first husband. And if they did that and a guy a woman was married 7 times to 7 brothers, whose Wife will she be in the quote unquote resurrection? Try that one on for size, Jesus. It's hard to like stump the guy who wrote all this though. That's the hard part. Jesus said, you are wrong because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. And then he says something that no one knows and no one could know and is written nowhere. You know what he says? In the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage. They're like angels in heaven, isn't it? That feels like terrible, but everything's not about sex. In fact, sex is a very specific gift for a very specific person and a very specific purpose. God wants two people to enjoy intimacy, vulnerability, connection, and union, and oneness as a picture of what God wants to do with humanity through his son, Jesus. And and God wants to propagate the species. Listen, if God didn't give us such a strong desire for sex, do you think men would keep having children? We are selfish. We want to be the child. Forget that. God know how to get stuff done. You want to make sure we don't want a wife, we want a mommy. A perpetual mommy. That's what we're looking for. Feed me, bathe me, serve me. That's men. That's all men. If there was no sexual drive in men, we would just be the laziest fat baby you ever saw. Seriously, think about it. No one would go to work. We'd be like, you deal with this. Seriously, think about it. Let it sink in for a second. But everything is not about sex. In fact, sex is about something way bigger and better than sex. Sex is about what you were made for. See, part of the reason sex is such a strong drive is because you were made for something bigger than this world. You are made something bigger than your own appetites. You're made for something bigger and stronger and longer and better than what you see yourself as being or wanting or needing to find fulfillment. You were made for God. You were made by God, for God, to live with God forever. And there is nothing that can compare to being known by him and to be belonging to him. And we get a little taste of that in our relationship with Jesus. We get a little taste of that through the filling of the Holy Spirit. But there will come a day when you will be everything God made you to be in the fullness and you won't need sex anymore. In fact, I think we will look back at sex and we'll just be like, that was funny. That was funny how we used to do that, wasn't it? Now, some of you are married 40 years and you're already doing that right now. Some Some of you are like, well... Aren't you glad everything's not about sex? Because if sex was everything, what happens when you can't have sex? That's right. And listen, listen, God made us to be in these lifelong relationships. The, the, your, your spouse, God wants you to have vulnerability, compassion, compatibility, companionship, friendship, and, and sex is going to go bye-bye. One of you or both of you is going is to be gone. But there's way more to it than that. And this relationship is a picture of that relationship. And so we've got to just deny the lie that everything's about sex. Unfortunately, instead of that, we make sex taboo. And this is where the church screws things up really bad. We go, sex is bad and dirty, never do it. And then you get married, you're like, do it. What? <laughs> never, never look at a girl, never hold her hand, never kiss a girl. And then you're like, here's all the things you get to do. Oh, what? Yeah, you do a real mind job on little kids when you're telling them what, how bad sex is. And then you're like, actually, it's good, enjoy it. Great, well, let's waste a decade trying to sort this out. You know what I'm talking about? The church has really messed this up. Listen, we do this thing where we go, I have a 13-year-old. Oh my gosh, what are they going to do? They have a phone. Their friends are going to show them something in the locker room. And you build yourself up and you have a 90-minute conversation where you say all this stuff and their eyes are this big and then you're like, let's never talk about this ever again. (laughs) Do you think that's going to help anybody? No. Our our kids, our teenagers, our 10-year-olds now, all the stats are saying kids are being exposed to pornography by nine years old. Nine. Nine years old, the internet that wants to monetize them is, is teaching them what it is, and they're wrong about what it is. They're friends at school. Do you want your middle school kids' friends to be the ones educating them about what sex is? No. Forget the 90-minute conversation. You need to have... 90 10-minute conversations, 9,000 10-minute conversations. Let's talk about it. Let's talk about it. Let's talk about what it is. Let's talk about why it's good. Let's talk about why it's dangerous. Let's talk about what it's for. Let's talk about it what it's a bigger picture of. Do you see this? So we've got to be the sex educators for our children. It can't be taboo. I'm gonna move faster. Can you guys listen faster? If I talk faster, we're going to run out of time. <laughs> the culture says that each person defines for themselves what sexuality will make them happy. That's what's happening. This culture says, you do you. You look on the inside. You ask yourself, what do I feel? What do I want? What interests me? What turns me on? And that is what I am. And that is what I long for. And that is what I want. And that is a good thing. And this is what the culture is telling everyone. And this is crazy. We don't let, we don't, if you don't let your kids choose what they eat for breakfast. I want Pop-Tarts every day, all day long. no. We don't want you to be unhealthy and anemic. You need vegetables, kid, right? Listen, we are terrible at deciding what it is that we are and what it is that we want. Our appetites, our desires, our feelings are terrible indicators of what is good for us. Do you know this? And this is what the world is saying. But unfortunately, the church's response has been to say that sex isn't about happiness or pleasure. It's about traditional marriage and procreation. Let's take all the fun out of it. Let's take all the joy out of it and let's make it about doing the things we've always done and making babies and that's it. So you go to a really faithful church and all the kids were born nine months after the anniversary and the man's birthday. (laughs) It's wrong. It's travesty. But listen, you, you will do a terrible job looking on the inside of you to decide what's best for you. This is why all of us need to look here to find out what God says we were made for. And to go to self, I have a problem right here that doesn't line up with this, but I trust you. And so I'm going with what you say. Also, there's no people out there who are just wonderfully, perfectly, monogamously in love with their one spouse and never have any other sexual aberration or, or stimulus of any kind ever. And so this idea that, that you're some aberration, this is where this polarity comes from. There's the normal and then the other. That's something that's created to control people, by the way. All of us are very complex beings who've experienced all sorts of atrocities and are filled with all sorts of hopes and desires and confusions and questions and curiosities. And what we don't need is Google. What we do need is God. What we need is a father who says, whoa, 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 whoa. Let me help you interpret what you're feeling and walk with you through it. Amen. We got time for one more. Uh, The culture says nothing is off limits as long as no one's getting hurt. Live your truth. This is what you're going to hear in the culture. Nothing's off limits. Sex, sexual limitations stifle your personhood. When you put these constraining religious uh, limitations, it, it, it forces you to be something other than what you are. It's restrictive and awful and terrible. And you need to live your truth as long as no one gets hurt, which I think is so funny. No limits as long as no one gets hurt. That's a limit. You see that? In fact, all your limits become completely arbitrary. This is what happens. There is no such thing the, the only thing that's got uh, sexuality, live your truth, no limits, that's called raping and pillaging. That's what that is. And does anybody want that? Who's in, who's in favor of raping and pillaging? No, no, no. The world's appealing to you and saying all, all sexual limitations are bad. No, they're not. No, they're not. In fact, they're all, they're all good. And in fact, they're all present. There, there. I was listening to a, a podcast, and I highly recommend it. It's called Christian Sexuality. It's a series of podcasts. It's especially helpful for your teenagers. Covers everything that we can't talk about in here. It's biblically based, very sound. Multiple uh, contributors. There was a Christian pastor and um, psychologist who was meeting with a polyamorous couple. So this is a monogamous couple who decided to spice up their sex life by bringing another couple into it. Because no limits, right? If they both were into it, then what's the problem? That's no problem. Well, you know why he was seeing them? Because the husband of one couple and the wife of the other started hooking up by themselves without the permission of the other two. And everybody was so mad. <laughs> why? You transgressed the limits. You see that? If you think limits are bad, why does everybody feel so hurt when they're betrayed? Why? Why is it that you feel just worthless when you're cheated on? Why? Because the limit is a gift from God. The gift is only a blessing when it's inside of the limit. And listen, if you're outside of the blessing, God's got bigger and better things for you. Sex is this temporary thing. It's not everything. And so we've got we've to deny the lie that nothing is off limits and accept God's good limits as a gift. And then to enjoy the gifts that he gives inside the limitations that he gives them to us in. This is why porn is off limits, by the way, everybody. I have a whole, I took, the only way I could fit this in one sermon is I took out everything about porn. So now I have another porn message to give. That'll be exciting. (laughs) But porn is 100% off limits. This is like the Pharisee going, yeah, but it's just porn. It's not cheating. No, it's cheating. It's totally cheating. And it's the worst possible thing you can do for your mind. Stop with the porn. Okay, I'll stop. No, you won't. You can't. That's the problem with porn. Do you see how this works? It's evil. And so when you say no limits, what ends up happening is you destroy yourself. You see this? So you not only need God's limits, but you also need God to stay inside God's limits. The fruit of the spirit, self-control. This is what's going to drive you to him, but we got to be willing to talk about it. Okay, I got to wrap this up. Um, Here's the problem. The world says nothing's off limits. Everybody do you. And the church says, no, 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 there's limits. But then, but then... We don't treat men and women fairly and men's sexual misconduct is often more acceptable than women's. And that's super, super dangerous. And I got to say that out loud. A woman transgresses in any way, flirting, text message, emotional affair, and the whole thing explodes. Boys looking at porn, Eh, boys will be boys. No, it's not right. It's not right at all to say these limits exist and then only apply them to one side of the species. And if the church does this, you have no voice. We have no voice at all, unless we're willing to say this is what God said and it counts for both men and for women. And then lastly, the culture says transsexual people's gender identity doesn't match their biological sex. So transsexual people's gender identity doesn't match their biological sex. Now here's the problem. Um, Sex and gender were synonyms that were separated for the purpose of exploiting confused people. And then people were purposely confused and then purposely exploited. Those two things have never not been the exact same thing. And so there is no difference between your gender and your sex. Now there is such things as masculinity and femininity, and those are culturally defined. And so... People of a leftist bent seeking to control the masses and break down the traditional roles of marriage and family have tried to confuse people by saying, if you don't fit the stereotypical gender ideology, then there's something about you that's not in keeping with what you're in. And so that used to be a disorder and now it's celebrated. And it's crazy because if you look to see where this is happening, it's an epidemic that's happening in left-leaning, ideologically driven centers of the country, That are primarily blue and urban, and it's not happening where that ideology does not exist. And this whole transgender ideology is incredibly destructive. We're observing a sociological phenomenon that will be marked in history as a travesty of epic proportions. This this transgender movement is inflicting and infecting our children, and there are adults who are complicit in the sterilization and the mutilation of young children and it's got to stop somebody's got to stand up and say this is evil This is wrong it's not okay (laughs) listen god says who you are not how you feel and listen when you're a teenager you feel all kinds of crazy stuff that goes away i used to be one how many of you raise your hand if you used to be a teenager how many wonderful ideas did you have how many, how many times did you question who you were and who, where you fit in and, and who loved you and where you would find a place? That is, I mean, middle school is a kind of hell, guys. And so stop trying to make life-altering decisions right there. And parents, stop letting your sixth grader tell you what they are. That's your job. Think about it. If We're celebrating adults who are letting their 11-year-old drive is what we're doing. And that's wrong, that's wrong. And listen, but as adults, we're hardly any better, which is why we need a father. We are orphans left alone to our own imaginings and desires making our way, and it's a terrible, awful world, but God came into it to rescue us out of it and to adopt us back into his family. And unfortunately, brothers and sisters, we've made this worse and not better because the church has held on to unbiblical traditional elements of what masculinity and femininity is and forced that onto a world who already is having a hard time with that. And so listen, being a woman doesn't mean you like dresses and playing with dolls in the color pink. Do you understand? And being a man doesn't mean you need to be the leader and the protector. Listen, let her drive and take out the trash. Do you understand what I'm saying here? It's being human. Listen, God's word says so much about what it means to be a woman. And it has nothing to do with most of what the world says a woman is. And most of the things that you think a man should be or a woman should be, it isn't in here. It's just stuff people think. And so we've gotta stop forcing these stereotypes onto people who are already pushing back against those stereotypes and hold up for people a compelling picture of what God is really like. And we're terrible, we're terrible. The church historically has just masked over all of the beautiful ways that God himself has expressed his femininity to humanity. God has, God displays himself as being a mother hen who wants to gather her chicks, not his chicks, her chicks. God has put forward as a nursing mother that wants to suckle every child and bring you near in this intimate and bonding skin on skin kind of a way. You're like, God said that? Yes! And they were created in his image male and female he created them let us celebrate when we when we mass